1: It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast.
0: And welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Danny Connell, that's Bud Elliott, that's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Big weekend in college football, the NFL draft. We had that instant reaction for you on Thursday night from the first round, and now we're going to uh, break things down uh, a little bit more. We're talking by school, we're talking by conference. What does it mean if you had the most? What does it mean if you did not have any? There is a very, very interesting list of players that went undrafted that we all thought very very highly of in uh, in college. We'll we'll dig into some of that uh, and much more of our notes from the weekend uh, as we gather together on Friday. The news broke that Lance Leipold was going to be the hire at Kansas. Uh, Tom and I got a chance to jump in on an emergency podcast. Before we get going, Bud, Danny, uh, any any sort of thoughts or any any lingering uh, expectations that you want to make sure that we we get out here for the people uh, before we start to really advance this thing and and start to learn about what the Lance Leipold experience is going to look like in Lawrence.
2: I think it's a great hire. Um, I don't think like you can have a whole lot of success at Kansas, but getting a guy who has won at multiple places where it's difficult to win. Like they, they could have gone and they, they could have tried to recruit a route, which they did when they hired, what's his name? Texas A&M. David Beatty. Uh, uh, right. David, David Beatty. I, that really didn't work. They tried to go with the name route, which there was no evidence. Les Miles could do more with less because literally he did less with more at LSU in a lot of years. Not, not like no pun intended there, but I guess it works. <laughs> getting a guy who has had success at very difficult places to win who's going to come in with a system, who doesn't depend on having you know really top players for him that he's going to recruit specifically to a system, you're kind of doing what Kansas State has done when Kansas State has had success, right? And like trying to do that, maybe not as much as the JUCO stuff. I, I think it's a solid hire. I I was very intrigued by Munkin, um, but it's just so hard as an AD to, to tell your fans, hey, we're not really going to play for titles. We're just trying to make bowls, which would be an amazing accomplishment at Kansas.
3: I think it's a home run higher. I think it's as good as they could have done, considering all uh, the circumstances that you take in. The fact that you could get somebody who was in the conversation for several, you know, top-tier jobs at the Power 5 level, and you could lure them away to Kansas after spring football has already occurred, after you just, you know, changed over athletic director, like, and you're the worst team in in the Power 5. Like, it's a home run higher. It's close as you can get there.
0: Is it... Like, is it too easy when we start to get to our preseason predictions, which will be in July? Hey, which is in two months, fellas. Like, Ain't when we got to start, like, getting together all of our information to uh, preview the upcoming season, are are you just going to, uh, number one, this may be an easier answer, are you just going to throw Kansas at the bottom of your projected order of finish, just like easy right in 10? And number two, when it comes for win totals uh, and when it comes to trying to, you know, predict how the season's going to go, do you automatically throw them on the like one and eleven watch uh, just because of? Because I'm thinking about this, Danny, based on what you mentioned with the timeline. It's just so difficult mm-hmm. to imagine that compared to uh, the first hires of this coaching cycle, how much time there's been uh, that he still got to like learn everyone's names like Tom you you mentioned that with a couple of our things it's like yeah spring practice I hope everyone wears name tags because like that's going to be the number one goal of this spring practice he does not even have that so do you think that it will number one Do you just pencil them in at the bottom of the big 12 number two do you think it will be a true like year negative one situation or are you willing to entertain the idea that this could be a frisky four and eight team
2: I will pencil Kansas in at the bottom of the Big Twelve, not only for this year but also for next year, mm. and I will put it in pen. That this is like a multi-multi year rebuild. They, they had like total face fake success in 2019. Um, I remember, you know, kind of getting in some discussions with people as like, wait, you really think the Kansas team's gonna win four games in in 2020? Like, it's their improvement was fake. Um, <laughs> I think I think their win total Jayhawks. their win total will be one and a half. Yeah, I mean, almost certainly like like if you put it at one, nobody's going to bet the under so you're going to make it at one and a half you put it at two, everybody takes the under because they they have what one win against South Dakota, probably three other games where they're not going to be huge underdogs, everything else they're going to be three or four scores at least.
1: Yeah, I've got him in last place. Uh, I I don't know. I mean. If you look at when Leipold took over at Buffalo, he took over a five-win team, and he had a five-win team in his first year. And then he went down to two and ten before like the build really started. And I think that if he's approaching this job correctly, I don't think that the first thing should be, all right, got to win as many games as possible this year. I think that this is just... I don't know if it's a negative year one or just a year zero, whatever you want to call it. I think that the 2021 season for him is going to be figuring out, you know, the situation it's like, yeah, I've got a football team. I've got a coach and we're going to go play the games. It's not like they're going to, you know, tank the season or anything, but I don't think the overall focus is going to be on results in 2021, as much as it's going
3: to be getting the process started. Mm -hmm. Creating a new culture. Like Mm -hmm. this is a new start. I'll be curious. I'll be tempted if it's one and a half to take the over. Yeah. Uh, I'm. 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 I'm looking on the bright side here. Here's why we have a little bit of a template for what Lance Leipold will be given because we had a lot of coaches last year. First year coaches didn't have spring ball and they did have more meetings, but you can cram somewhat. I'll have to see what the win total is. First, I mean, I'm not. I'm, they're definitely last in the Big Twelve. I thought the win total thing was a more interesting conversation. Like they're only two against year? Coastal. Uh, I need to see what the. So, what would you put it at? One and a half, and you see. I'll it, I, I
2: would. I would put it at one and a half. I'll go over. I think listen, I'll go over.
0: I, and listen, yeah. if we talk about Leipold, do we as have like any
2: Undertakers. I
1: mean, let's let's go through this game
2: but, by but game. You're on the under, right? You're no, I just set, I just set the line. I, I, don't, I don't want. If you uh-huh. gave me two, I would take the under. Right. I would go under two you want to go over to?
3: No, I no. like the one and a half. <laughs> I would take the over. Cause yeah. I do think it might be like, it could be a time to buy. Like, I think Lance, like I think Lance Leipold is the right guy for this one. And if you can buy extremely low at extreme discount, and I think one and a half would be a discounted price. But I could see a lot of people penciling it. Oh, they're going to be 0 for 12. They're just going to, they're not going to win a game. But I think like Sam Pittman last year had an a upside surprise and they were a, a castaway team. But I thought Sam Pittman was a good coach, What fit the culture. And they get their first SEC win in 20 tries or whatever it was. So I could see a similar scenario unfold with Leipold man, that okay. roster is so bare.
1: Before before this evolves into yet another Kansas football podcast, episode, <laughs> I just, like, they play South Dakota to open the year. We can't even assume that's, that's a, a good.
0: Yeah, that is a good FCS team, as I'm learning from uh, the yeah. last couple weeks.
1: And Kansas has lost to these teams in recent years, and then they get at Coastal in lost. their second game. They've lost to Coastal, I think, two years in a row now. That is correct. Yeah, they're up for two. And then it's Baylor at Duke at Iowa State, Texas Tech, Oklahoma at Oklahoma State, Kansas State at Texas at TCU West Virginia are you guys still so sure about the over one and a half?
0: (laughs) The play is that if you really believe in this like culture and Tom, we talked about it in the reaction pod that sometimes we find ourselves a little bit uneasy on how hard we are leaning in it as something that matters. But we acknowledge that there is something intangible to being able to lead and inspire and organize and have everyone focused on the similar goal working in lockstep. And that matters. And it seems to be a big piece of why you like Lance Leipold. If I'm going to buy the culture, then yeah, there's absolutely one Big 12 opponent that is going to be a little bit like looking past them or playing down or uninspired. And like you got to, if you are landslide pulled, you're circling like the most winnable games on the conference schedule and you're just going all in because if we can get one conference win and avoid that being a little 0 9 for your year one, then that. That is something that I think is uh, is is worth maybe considering that uh, that he'll be able to go and get you one Big Twelve win. It'd be awful for the team they beat, right? Like that would be the thing. Texas, is yeah. yeah, it's probably going to be Steve Sarkeesian in Texas if we uh, if we want to actually consider what would be. It would be hilarious if Kansas's one win with Lance Leipold <laughs> oh. was against Steve Sarkeesian in Texas. I'm going to go ahead and jump on the Jayhawks and the points as soon as they said it. But I do think I that's think my argument.
1: I think 2021 for them will probably really largely depend on how much of
0: his staff is coming with them, and we still don't know that at this point. Yeah. Yeah, okay uh yeah so another 10 minutes on the Kansas Jayhawks <laughs> here in uh, 2021 what a time to be alive all right NFL draft Danny how was it on the uh, the fantasy football draft watch party a lot of pieces a lot of talent uh what what was your uh overall I guess from that Thursday night as well but then also just from uh, from the NFL draft as a whole you no know, it doesn't even have to be college specific but ha- how' do you feel uh, coming Out of the weekend,
3: so this weekend is always an interesting weekend for me because I know my Twitter feed is going to start. You start getting a little riled up because of the SEC's run in the NFL draft, so I might have like lit a fire and like just tossed the match in, uh, just a total blaze, and then ran off and watched it burn (laughs) because uh, after the first round was there. Uh, you know, the SEC had the most players drafted of any other conference and they start coming out. And I said, well, if you take out Bama, is it that impressive? It's the same as the big 10. It actually the big 10 had more in the first round. And so after the entire draft plays out again, if you take out Bama, the gap doesn't look quite as wide. And there were a, all kind of, you know, then I'm just getting pelted with just uh, it, just all kinds of bombs coming in at me. I'm trying to dodge them. So I just get out of there. Um, And clearly, yes, if you took Ohio State out of the Big Ten, if you took Clemson out of the ACC, like the top-tier teams. If you take Pitt out of the ACC, because Pitt led the ACC in draft picks. They had six, which was really (laughs) impressive. But the the storyline, the mantra of the SEC is so dominant because they've had this run. I think it's a master marketing job by the SEC because it helps them in recruiting, because they're all selling, hey, if you come to the SEC, look, we have the most players drafted every single year. Um, It helps in the perception of them. Everybody loves to talk about it. Like, when you dive into the numbers, and you guys may say you're completely off your rocker, like, they have, on average, 15 to 20 more players drafted than next closest conference. The difference in those is probably a bunch of guys that were drafted in the sixth and seventh round. We saw kickers and long snappers drafted, like, does that really matter that much? Like, I, and like, you know, is that a problem that they're dominating that much? I would say Alabama's dominance in the draft is a way bigger problem than the SEC's dominance in the draft history. Does that so, make
0: sense? Al, well, I think that Alabama just deserves the headline for tying the Miami class. Like, six right. first round picks ties Miami for the most first round picks, eight picks in the first two rounds is the most of all time. A bunch of teams had gotten up there to have seven picks in the first two rounds, including Alabama, which did it in last season, 2020. LSU did it last season, 2020, with seven in the first two round, and Alabama in 2017 all had seven uh, six times overall. But eight players in the first two rounds, like that's – that's a little bit, um, yep. that's unique. That's going to push that SEC count, which, as you mentioned, 65 players drafted in the first 259 picks. That is the most by any single conference in the common draft era. So 65, new record just set by the SEC. The previous record was... The SEC, which had it with 64, so just one less than that, uh, that included Josh Allen, Kentucky Not Wyoming, Josh Jacobs, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Quinn and Williams. And then in 2020, the SEC again had 63 picks, as did the 2013 SEC draft out. I will say that this particular run where you've got, you know, uh 64 in 2019, 63 in 2020, then 65 here in 2021, I I think that that's a little bit of an outlier, probably driven by Alabama. If Alabama's gonna have record be setting records as a school, then those are gonna be those extra three, four, five picks that are gonna take the SEC over the top. I don't think that it's sustainable. I don't think the SEC will continue to keep breaking its own record year after year. And at some point, the SEC is going to you know, come back just a little bit, which in turn means that the gap is going to lessen. This feels, this feels like a spike that's a little bit even beyond the fact that the SEC, year after year after year after year, seems to be number one on that conference big board.
1: I'm not sure I buy that. Okay. yeah, I, I think it's going
3: one way. Yeah, You think I, that it's I, like
0: they the SEC will continue to break its own record? Yes.
3: Well, hello, they have way the more teams is. than the Big yeah. 12 and the Pac-12, so that gives them yeah. an enormous advantage. But and, even on a per-team advantage, I mean, so... SEC
1: is the only conference in the country this year that every school had at least one player draft. Mm. I mean, first-round picks the
2: last seven drafts, so basically Archibald- se- like, since Louisville joined the ACC, SEC 73,
3: ACC 39, Big 10 39. I mean, it's not but, close. Like, to Man. your point, Tom, because I love they love running that line, too. Does that mean Vanderbilt's a good team? No offense. No, <laughs> I feel like every means... time we say something about Vanderbilt this year, we're going to have to be like, sorry.
1: No, but like- it, it shows that, like, I, I, under, I agree. I think Alabama, kind of like the results on the field, carries the load. Like, it yeah. is the big deal. But there's still just far more depth to that conference from a talent level because if we look, the SEC had 65 players drafted. The Big Ten was in second with 44. We take Alabama out of the equation. Alabama had nine players. That's still 56 players. That's still 12 more than the next closest conference had, even without its best team. If you take Ohio state out of the big tens total, they're going to fall way down the rankings in that one. Cause it's, I, I don't think it's changing. I think like there were maps. I can't remember who published them, but it was just a map of where every single player that was drafted was from. And shocker, the overwhelming majority of players that were drafted this year are from the Southeast. They didn't necessarily play in the sec, but they're from that region of the country. Florida had more than anybody, unless you're Brian Fisher and you're doctoring the results to make it look like Texas had more, but like that that entire region had more players produced that went to the NFL in the draft. It's only natural that that region is where the schools are and where those players are mostly going to go. And then you combine the actual results of the conference. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Well, there's a a way I think, and it would be if Texas
2: and USC and Florida State and, you know, maybe like Michigan, if they're turning more of their highly rated recruits into first rounders, that's the way you could cut into the SEC's lead by a little bit. But nobody will overtake them. Like the talent in this country is becoming more concentrated on the southeast, not less. We have less talent in California than we used to have. We have less talent in the northeast and the Midwest than we used to have. Like, I. So you think it's yeah, like that's I, the, the trend is exactly the opposite of what Chip and Danny are saying. I think like no, it's no, going I, in Wait, one wait, wait,
3: wait, wait! Don't but I, I wasn't saying the trend is going to change. I was saying we read too much into the trend as determining national champions, determining teams that get to the playoff. Like that byline helps them tremendously, and it is a fact. And I don't think it changes. But because Vanderbilt gets a player draft, it doesn't mean their schedule's a gauntlet. Like, that's the thing that bothers me. It's, oh, it's the toughest. Like, you look at the Texan M schedule the next year is not that bad. Like, yeah, they no, got to play it's, Bama, it's which friendly. is brutal. Like, but that's, that's the, the storyline of, oh, we have all these players drafted. We're the toughest conference. It helps them tremendously in a sport where perception matters. And rankings matter. Preseason rankings matter. So that was – I don't think it changes. I think the SEC's run will continue. And I don't think – you know, I think you could maybe cut into it a little bit. But I don't think you'll ever – like, I think the SEC will have the most players drafted. Like, I for th- the next 10 years, 15 years? Yeah. Or but forever.
1: But I think to, like, further go into this, like, this is a – this was a number from Peter Burns who was just
3: clearly oh gosh. trying to troll. I set like, him off, too. Like, I am yeah. sure – he's out. He's out. And me – this, this was nothing but a troll tweet, but there is something
1: to it that I think you can't ignore. It's It was draft picks faced by college football teams during the regular season last year. Georgia faced 43, Alabama faced 42, AM faced 41, Clemson 34, Notre Dame 32, Oklahoma 17, Cincinnati 13, Ohio State
0: 9. Mm. How many
1: games did Ohio State play? Uh, six. Wait, right. was this the regular exactly. season? Exactly.
3: Yes. Yeah. So, so that sure. impacts it. But if you
1: do it yeah. by game, so that's four point three per game for Georgia. If you divide Ohio State's nine games by six, that's one and a half. It's still nearly three times as many on a rate. So this is regular season only, or count to the playoffs? Yeah. Regular Sorry. last regular season. Got
0: it. So my so. argument was that it. It. I just don't see it continue. Like I, I want to celebrate this particular collection of talent, and also suggest that there's. I mean, it, it would blow my mind if we just continue to see it where 66 gets broken in the next year or two, and then it becomes 67, and they just continue to, like, push this out more and more and more. Like, I think that landing somewhere at, like, 63 or 62, that wouldn't be uh, a huge surprise. And I think that maybe the the path that you mentioned, Bud, is a little bit more of seeing these other uh, programs that get players who are projected to be top picks and actually uh, providing the kind of environment where they develop into that where they end up matching some of their projections. So, speaking uh, of oh, go ahead.
1: Is there one thing I can, one more thing to bring up that kind of goes to the point you and Danny are trying to make that gets kind of lost. Now there is context of when the players have been taken, but as far as that gap closing in the last three years, because we spent so much time talking about that Alabama twenty seventeen recruiting class and how amazing wasn't all that stuff, and it is because again, all those first rounders, eight first Al- round
0: picks from one recruiting class, mm-hmm. stupid. Alabama
1: has had twenty eight players selected in the last three drafts. Ohio State has had twenty eight players selected in the last three drafts. So, if you want to look at it from that angle, when it, it's I don't, it might not be so much SEC as it could be college football playoffs.
0: Mm. If we start
1: looking at the draft from playoff schools compared to non-playoff schools,
3: oh, that's a great. I bet
1: you're going to see a out. big kind of correlation <laughs> in the trend there.
3: Tweeting it out right now. Someone, <laughs> hey,
0: no, you just got a segment for uh, the radio show tomorrow.
3: <laughs> you know, exactly. locked and loaded, and that is problematic. As much as we spend time and we've seen all this uh, marketing from the SEC, which I would, I agree, I think it's genius, and the ACC did count. Notre Dame this year, but I saw like the NCAA didn't. And like, if I was Jim Phillips, I'd be on the phone. Like, Hey, those were our guys. We're getting those counted for us this year. They played in the championship game. Uh, As much as that's the storyline, I think the more alarming or like, like under the radar story is the big 12 not having many.
0: That's where I wanted to go next. No no. first-round picks for the first time in history, and for the 10th straight year, it is the fewest amount of draft picks of any Power 5 school. The last decade, the Big 12 has provided Heisman Trophy winners, college football playoff representatives in the form of the Oklahoma Sooners, and... Thrills. I mean, I've I've really enjoyed watching the Big Twelve. It has not felt like uh, a bad conference as a whole. Just you know, right off the top, off the surface. But is this uh, is this reflective of a real talent issue in the Big Twelve? And is that gonna like change the perception in a way that's like they become the anti SEC? Where. If you are you know, being able to pump up and be able to promote yourself and, and Danny, like you mentioned, maybe get some of those intangibles and the debates about whose conference is better than the others for the college football playoff purposes, like this, does the Big 12 have a problem right now?
1: I think so. Wow. I mean, if, if you look at the, there were 22 players selected from the Big 12 this year, at half of them or 10 of them were oklahoma and texas and i think let me check oklahoma state here oklahoma state had
0: chuba thailand four so
1: 14 of the 22 players drafted from the big 12 came from three schools Hmm. that's a problem that is i mean that's there's clear lack of parity when it comes to the talent and development at the programs over the long term now that's not to say baylor hasn't had some it's not to say iowa state's not going to have some they have had some in recent years it's just Every single year when it's the same th- two to three programs producing all the talent. And again, Oklahoma had a run of number one picks. So, you know, but it's like we mentioned with the sec, all 14 teams produced in the big 10. It wasn't all 14, but it was most of them in the ACC. It wasn't all of them, but it was most of them in the Pac 12. And the, it was, I think, I don't know how many schools. I can't, I don't have Utah
0: that, think, and Washington state did not. Those are yeah, two so, that were on the pick list list. So
1: it's like, it's, it's a problem that I don't think you can ignore when only when three of your schools are producing so much of the talent and you don't have that much talent going in. Like, if big, if the Big 12's got, you know, 45 players selected and 20 of them are from three schools, that's fine. When you're only getting 22 players selected and nearly two-thirds of them are from three schools, that's not. All
2: right, I, I really went into this thinking that I was going to kind of hate on the Big 12, and I will in a second, but I want to defend <laughs> them briefly. Uh, what a lawyer. I, Part of this is, is <laughs> oh God,
1: yeah.
2: But part of this I I think is is cyclical. Uh, in that, think about it: West Virginia, newer coaching staff; Baylor, newer coaching staff; Kansas State, you know, newish co- coaching staff. Kansas is Kansas, Texas Tech, newer coaching staff. So all these teams that you would be hopeful for to produce, you know, somewhere between one and two draft picks, perhaps. They're, they're all sort of very early in their their changeover development cycle so I can kind of give them a a bit of a collective pass I think you know TCU had a a decent draft Um, Iowa State did not have a good draft but at the same time they bring back almost everybody that they possibly can bring back like they're they're one of the the tops in the nation in terms of returning experience so that kind of makes sense as to why they didn't have a lot of guys drafted because basically everybody's coming back Uh, now you can argue yeah bud that's because they didn't have anybody with first-round grades, and I, I'll buy that. But still, I bet you they have a decent number of third, fourth, fifth-rounders on that team when they do decide to declare. The issue here is, is largely, over the last couple of years at least, Texas. right? There's only two teams in this league that recruited at a high level. Everybody else is hoping to have a top-25 type class. There's only two teams that really threaten top-10, top-5 status, and that's Oklahoma and Texas. Oklahoma was a pretty young team this last year. I think they'll have a lot of draft picks in next year's draft. Just look at some of these early mocks. I mean, there's a lot of Oklahoma guys on there. Texas has been by far the biggest underachiever relative to its recruiting rankings over the last like 15 years or so. And if they get that figured out, the league looks a hell of a lot better. If they don't, then the league will continue to lag.
0: Do you have confidence that Sark and that staff are going to be able to create a little bit of a better conversion rate?
2: I would probably buy Texas if I could right now and buy the Big 12 as a whole, not to catch the other leagues, but but to close the gap between them and the Pac-12 somewhat. Uh, I, I, think, I think he'll be able to do a good job there. But then again,
1: I, I thought Tom Herman would do a good job there, and th- that didn't work out. So, See, part of the concern for me, though, from the Big 12 is like, yeah, Oklahoma and Texas are the only two that really recruited a level where it's like, you know, you're spitting out you're spitting out draft picks whether you do anything with them or not the players are just that good at that point it's kind of like like michigan right michigan. now hasn't been winning a ton of games but they're still churning out plenty of nfl draft picks because they're getting a ton of talented players but like when you look at the rest of the big 10 there's a lot of schools in the big 10 that don't really recruit to the same level as texas or oklahoma they're kind of recruiting at a similar level to big 12 but they're churning out draft picks because they are developing the players like iowa iowa doesn't recruit wonderfully it's recruited better in recent years but its draft pick to recruiting ranking is probably you know above average i think wisconsin recruiting ranking to draft picks reduced is probably above average the big 12 and maybe this is what iowa state's becoming and maybe to your point bud because there has been some coaching turnover there lately that nobody's really been able to get that established but the big 12 doesn't really have that program yet and other power five conferences have multiple versions of them
0: Coming up on the other side, we take a look at some of the interesting college angles to day three and turn the page with some very, 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 way too early 2022 thoughts, guesses, predictions, and more next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Okay, so I was, you know, watching things unfold, and, and there was a lot of a lot of names where you're like, man, he hasn't been drafted yet. He hasn't been drafted yet. I could, I thought this is one of my favorite players, and it kind of felt like all at once the entire NFL. I, you know, I don't know whether the, you know, on on day three some guys just don't show up. You know, you delegate something, but it's like all the college football fans in these war rooms. I think they finally got um, hiring firing power in the fifth round. Okay, the fifth round is really where I felt like I was like, this is where the college football stars show up. Brevin Jordan going uh, at 147 to the Houston Texans. Kenneth Gainwell, who, you know, was one of the most explosive uh, all purpose backs in all of college football, goes at 150 to the Philadelphia Eagles. Caden Stearns, you know, a little bit of injury issues, never quite uh, flashed, like never quite lived up to the way that he flashed at Texas. Uh, You look at Isaiah Loudermilk from Wisconsin, Davion Nixon, one of the best defensive players in the entire country last year from Iowa. He goes to the Panthers. Sean Wade, who, like going into the college football season, we might have guessed would have been in that conversation for – first round or at least being in in one of the top cornerbacks he goes in the fifth round uh you take it down just a little bit farther farther you got richard lecount down there dalen hayes from notre dame it was like fine K, kj Britt from uh, auburn
1: what can you see who the last pick of the fifth
0: round was last pick of the fifth round uh ben mason a fullback from michigan Yeah, I I wouldn't consider him on my list. He was he didn't make my list of uh, college football stars who finally went off the board. But like Shamar John Charles, the linebacker from App State, he was another time
1: low man trophy winner, Chip. Come on. listen,
0: Come on. Come on. So it, uh, I guess the the ones that stood out from that, like um, you know, Davion Nixon was not a highly recruited player. He like worked his way and, and sort of finally turned in that star performance uh, during the 2020 season. But Richard LeCount um, and Sean Wade are both part of the class, recruiting class of 2017, which had let's see, Josh Kendo went a little bit late. Dylan Moses was not even drafted. Trey Smith went late. Wade went late, Jacoby Stevens went late, and Richard Le- LeCount went late. What what do we have to be able to, you know, there's injury issues for Dylan Moses. Like, how, how do you explain away, or did the NFL make some mistakes with some of these players that were highly recruited, stars at the college level, slipping all the way down to the fifth round?
1: My theory, and I think with, with Moses, a lot of it was injury. But my theory is these are really talented football players, right? They were really highly rated recruits. Who are the type of players who would benefit from a combine?
0: Talent, athletically gifted players
1: Mm -hmm. that maybe didn't have the greatest tape or the greatest production at times. It kind of hurts their stock, especially when you're looking for like the upside kind of plays, I think if there had been a combine these guys probably go earlier because they most of them probably would have tested a lot better and we would have it would have been like it would have alleviated possibly some concerns that you see on tape. Because, like, let's be real, like coaches, evaluators, when you see that stuff, it, it can cloud your judgment. Like, you see a guy wrote a four four, then you're going watching the tape and he's making mistakes. It's like, yeah, but he's got four four. Or I saw him, you know, I saw him do this, so I saw him do that in these drills. So, you believe in there's more of a chance that it could work. Whereas, if you're not seeing any of that, it, there's there's not as many pluses in the columns for when you're evaluating based on that. So I think that definitely hurt. You the stats from think? college
2: don't count. <laughs> I mean, like you can't take them with you. It's all about projection. That's all these NFL teams care about is what do they think you'll do at the next level? I, I think as as we start to see more data science used in football, like, like it's being used in baseball and basketball, that they will continue to draft attributes and, and talents as opposed to production Man, because they, they think that. they can coach that up the same way that colleges do it, right? I mean, Christian Barmore was a basketball player until his senior year of high school. He went to Bama. It's not like Kansas State taking a shot on this kid. I mean, Bama's like, yeah, you know what? You don't really know how to play football yet. We don't care. We see your height, weight, speed, your agility – I think we're only going to go more in that direction where they care about your, your, your measurables and your attributes. I mean, we're seeing this in baseball. You get pitchers that, that have you know, ERAs of six signed to $20, $30 million deals because they spin the ball well. And the new team wants to, wants to utilize you know, their curveball and have them throw it 80% of the time, like use players in a different way. So I, I think we'll continue to see college production matter less.
3: I think it's really hard to play in the NFL. I think, I think that's where you realize like there's only 259 players drafted. And it, there's no guarantees. They don't care how many stars you had coming out of high school. They don't care if you had a great season and you might have been a player of the year for your conference. They don't care about anything you've achieved in college. It's hard. It's, it's, it's an exclusive group. And that's what I think when I see some of these players that don't get drafted or get drafted way later than we thought they were because you heard some analyst on whatever channel you're watching the games on rave about them. And I find myself, I look back on some players and I think it's kind of lazy narrative to say, this guy's going to be playing on Sunday one day. Mm. We, and we all say that Yeah. after a player makes a big play and guess who else hears it, that player, his family. So you get real excited about it. Then everyone hears it. You start writing about it. Oh, he's going to be playing on Sunday. And it's just – it's way harder than just saying he's going to play on Sunday because he made a couple plays in a big game on national television. It's just hard.
0: I think that this is where I enjoy not having too much of a, like, professional or even, like, really a personal obligation or tie to the NFL side of it because it allows me to just be angry. Because, Bud, you're right. You are 100% right. But – I will, I get to stand here and say college should matter. Like being able to show what you can do in pads in competition against high level competition, that should matter. If you are playing in the big 10 and you are doing your job and you're showing out and, and popping and I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, that's one of the best players on the field right now. Then that should be something that, uh, that should be taken into consideration. But if as the, as the science uh, data science continues. And if they continue to look for attributes and talent, then a lot of those players that are just like down and dirty have done it for like 38 games in a row and, and play in at a high level. Like, I respect, I value that and I would likely get fired, I guess, uh, after about three years as an NFL general manager because you would have
3: had you would have had Sam Ellinger going number three overall, and you would have had Trey Lance drafted in the sixth round. You would have yeah. you would have
0: seen a team that is just made up of all Americans that is going like seven and nine every single season in the NFL.
2: Yeah, kind of. lose your quarterback? Oh. Uh, uh, Trend wise, two things I, I, I noticed that I, I think we can kind of take that I think you're going to see mirrored in college football. Uh, no defensive tackles taken in the first mm-hmm. round. Yeah. And did you see how many running backs got picked total? Like we had two in the first round, which probably not real smart, but they, they are good players. How many backs got taken
1: in the top, uh, what, After the top that, five rounds? It wasn't until like the very last day where we started seeing a bunch of backs.
0: Yeah, there was a run in the, on day three.
2: Yeah, I mean, nine running backs in the top five rounds. The position's de-emphasized.
0: I think we they're knew not, that. They're
2: not wasting draft capital. on. It. Yeah, I, I think it's just more continuing. Like I, I I had heard some stuff on Twitter. Hey, look, running backs are back this year because we had two in the first round. And
1: then mm. it was like some somebody just sh- shut off the supply. They're like, uh, nope, we're done. I think, too, because like, there, there were a few defensive tackles taken early, and there really weren't many middle linebacker, like classic-type middle linebackers taken in this draft. And i'm gonna be interested to watch that next year too because like we talked about before the draft i felt like the defensive tackle and linebacker positions were kind of a weak class anyway so i don't know if this is a sign of what's happening or if it was just a reflection of a pretty weak overall class but going back to like the top recruits and all that kind of stuff chip not being drafted the problem was jaguars didn't have more picks <laughs> Going through, going, <laughs> through going. going through Urban's first draft. I was there. I feel like I was just reading twenty-four-seven recruiting <laughs> rankings. After a while, <laughs> it was nothing but former four and five stars.
0: I mean, he has admitted on 24 seven sports, uh, in a video that he checked 24 seven sports as a head coach. And he was always looking at class rankings and he said it at the time because he said he was so competitive that he always, you know, if you're going to say that there's a number one, we want to be number one, but yeah, he's very familiar with the, the, the top of the player rankings for sure. He's I bet you urban Myers run the, uh, the class calculator. I bet, I bet he has.
2: <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, he or he's had Mark Pantoni do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, 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 I'll add him in the class. Let me, what What does it say now? Where are we? Are we close to Bama? Uh, all right, before we get to the 2022 look ahead, what were some of the other uh, notes, standouts, college or, or otherwise? I mean, everybody here is a informed football fan at all levels, except for me, who apparently is a traditionalist and hates the way the NFL is going.
1: <laughs> I, uh... I, I was on, on Thursday night, I was on here kind of bitching about the Lions draft because I didn't like take, I, I love Paday Sewell but I thought it was foolish of them to take him over like a quarterback that was there when I feel like that's kind of where they need to go. And then I, I wasn't really a big fan of like their first three picks because it was kind of, you know, like their coach, Dan Campbell was the, the biting kneecaps and his first three <laughs> picks are an offensive tackle and two defensive tackles. And like you said, but this was a draft where there weren't a lot of defensive tackles taken. So from the process part, I wasn't very thrilled from a personal preference of player. I loved the Lions draft. There's nobody on their board that they took that I did not like, that I had, didn't have. Like, like I had worked up kind of my own sleepers list. Obviously, Pene Sewell's not on there, and Levi on, on Ruzawiki wasn't on there. But Ali McNeil, Ifiatu Melafonwu, Amon Ra St. Brown, Derek Barnes, Jamar Jefferson. They, Chip, they're probably your favorite draft too because I'm sure these are all names that you know and love. So it's, I loved their draft just as a college football fan and then just as an evaluator of talent.
3: I thought for me, one of the trends and storylines, and it's kind of, I feel this every single year, but this year, because of, I, I was curious to know if opting out or opting in would impact the draft. And I think one thing kind of resonated. If you want to opt out, you better be a good football player. And if you are, it won't hurt you. But and I, and then I, I kind of go to like, who made mistakes, who didn't. And there's one player that stood out to me that made a massive miscalculation. Whoever told him, and if it was truly for COVID, then that then discount this doesn't mat this doesn't apply. But Jamie Newman not playing at Georgia this mm-hmm. season, I think, and I was wrong. I didn't think it would cost him this much. He did not get drafted. When I at the time, I was like, he's probably gonna fall to the fifth or sixth round. And him, I think if he could have played and played, I think you know, who knows how it would have unfolded, but we saw what JT Daniels got in there and all of a sudden the offense exploded. Now we're like a little teaser of what we're going to do towards next year's mock draft. JT Daniels is already at the top. Of a lot of people's boards based on four games. Like if Jamie Newman would have just played decent at Georgia I think he would have put up big numbers, and I think he would have been drafted a lot higher than not getting drafted. Yeah, I mean, he he literally went from, like, being a top 10 pick in the too early 2021
1: NFL mock drafts to not drafted at all. And I, I would wager that doesn't happen very often.
0: Former teammate Sage Surratt also did not end up getting drafted. I thought that was a surprise. Uh, at the top of my – you know, we mentioned Dylan – Mo. did. Chaz did. Chaz went, what, second, third round? He was yeah, he a he, high. yeah. He was a night two pick. Um, Darius Stills, the defensive tackle from West Virginia. I thought that that one was a surprise to see him uh, fall. He was a, another player that I thought very, very highly of. Uh, Marvin Wilson, Drake Jackson. I mean, just some uh, Travon Grimes. There, there were some names on the uh, on the Chip Patterson. I'm obsessed with college football, and uh, I, that I just you know I, I I did not expect to to see them. Like wasn't necessarily considering a first round, but to to make it all the way through, uh, even the compensatory picks, even the fifth round, when the college football fans got to take over the war rooms, like to have all those picks come by and not have those names, I I, I found it to be a big surprise.
1: Yeah, do you guys. I, I was, I was, I'm sorry, I was just I was really surprised about Still's not being drafted too, but I do at least think he ended up in a good situation in Vegas, where he's very likely to make that roster.
3: This year's a mess because. COVID, it's hard even to keep track of underclassmen versus, you know, who has eligibility left. But in a normal year, we always see players make a mistake of leaving for the draft and they go undrafted. Do you feel like that needs to be addressed? Or are you just like, Hey, tough luck. Cause there's a part of me that wishes they could go back or have some eligibility left. If they, cause they're given a lot of bad advice you know, from agents, from family members, and they, and, and sometimes they're in financial hardships where they have to go pro. And either they were told they were going to be a first rounder and they go in the fourth round, or they told they're going to be a third rounder and they don't get drafted. Would you guys? Is it a problem that needs to be addressed, or is it not that big of a deal? Because I think, I like, I think at baseball, like baseball, lets them get drafted. If they get drafted, they like it; they go. If not, they can still play.
2: The issue with baseball is that the the signing period is. You know, Danny, as you know, like it, it's different. Like, like here, the draft occurs after the signing period. You have big time, you know, roster limits. You'd have to basically allow them to come back and then go to like any school that has space for them. I, I also think that the number of players who declare and go undrafted, who actually could go back or would be welcome back, is lower than we realize or would want to go back. A lot mm-hmm. of these guys are. I'm not saying they love going undrafted, but like it's much better for them and their families to go ahead and start the clock on their NFL careers. The practice squad guys actually make really good money compared to a lot of the jobs some of these dudes get, especially a lot of these guys who, and I've had coaches tell me this, we just ran out of classes they could pass, right? Like there is a certain subset of players in college football who academically cannot handle the coursework once you get past year two or three in school. And it's a sad reality of our educational system, blah, 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 but they're not eligible to come back. Now, the school is not going to announce that that, Hey, this kid's off the team because he you know he has a 1.7 now, but he has to declare for the draft. There's been players that, that we all know that had like Danny from Florida State, certain guys we we know on that 13 team. People are like, oh, why did he go early? He got undrafted. I'm like, guys, he was failing out, he didn't mm-hmm. have an option to come back. So I think the problem is is mostly overblown. Mm-hmm. You know, you got a couple guys that make silly decisions, but I mean, on the flip side of this, I am one hundred percent out on the idea that these guys get first round grades and come back to school. Like for every Andrew Luck, there's four or five Marvin Wilsons that I just call BS on the idea that they got first round grade. I I, I never bought it. So you didn't. You, think... If you have a real first round grade, you you don't come back to school. Period. Unless right. you're like a quarterback whose dad is like super rich and is the commissioner, you know, of, of a conference. or something. <laughs> so like you like you're like saying Luck they
0: was. got bad advice? Like they got a bad grade from somewhere?
2: I don't know. What I'm saying is I don't think that Marvin Wilson was really a first rounder. After last year, and all of a sudden went undrafted. If he had first round type film in 2019, they would overlook his bad 2020 and still take a flyer on him. I like i, I just all these these schools put out these nice you know feel good pieces. Oh, this guy got a first round grade, but he came back to school. BS. Come on. I'm, okay. I'm, buying it.
0: I'm I'm part of the problem there. I I re, I repeat that a lot when we're talking about some of these players. You know, especially in the off we say you know he could he could have been a, a, f- a first round, you know, or like first two days of the NFL draft type guy, but he decides to come back and then I you know proceed into whatever else is cool or I'd awesome. Buy that. Or, I mean, like, you know
3: you know first two days, but like first round grade came back. Come what on. what happened to? Uh, do you have any insight on uh, Marvin? Because I I. I follow him on Instagram, and this is one of the most heartbreaking things. And I know he wasn't the only one that was doing this, but I'm watching him on Instagram. I follow him and I see him in the lead up to the draft. He's working out, he's getting excited. Day one comes, he's like, life about to change, you know, and he's like, has a few people over and they're excited, can't wait to see where I go. Day two, same kind of thing, stay positive, gonna go. Here's my job, you know, goes by. Like, it's painful to watch these guys have their expectations up here and it comes in here. And he was still excited about getting the opportunity. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. But I was shocked at the drop. Like, if you go from, you know, like second and third round potential to out of it, was there more to it, do you think? Like, I, and I'm curious to know if what he, calling out Mike Norvell, like, and that was something that was a national storyline, if that possibly hurt him, even though what he did probably was the right thing to do.
2: I think if you're an NFL team, you don't care about all the other feel goodness, right? And the, hey, this guy's, you know, doing the socially conscious thing. You really don't care about that. You do care that he wasn't in shape to start of the year. He got pushed around by Georgia Tech and a little bit by Jacksonville State and was not an impact player this year and really didn't stand out even on a really bad defense. Mm-hmm. Um but that they totally overlooked what he did in 2019, which I thought was a pretty nice year for him. Danny, you may have a point there. Like the NFL teams may not
1: see that as a positive. The, at the very least, he did get 192 guaranteed, yeah, grand from Cleveland. So that's a nice. It's huh, a great. big chunk. He'd still, for, rather for be drafted, but for UDFA, that that kind of tells you how at least Cleveland feels about his talent.
0: And I think that's with Grimes.
1: True. I think it's just the route running. He's kind of a one-trick guy.
0: I think same it,
2: with Tamari and Terry, kind of.
0: I think that nice. the, for the the UDFA and like whether you should come back, I was gonna say like isn't, I mean Danny isn't a even a fourth round pick probably not guaranteed a roster spot. Like you still no. got to go out there and battle with uh, the undrafted free agents and other guys. that You are just have out the there. edge,
3: yeah. You have the edge over the undrafted free agent, but it's not gonna like if it's even they'll keep you because they have invested in you, but. It's, it doesn't guarantee you Did anything. you
2: guys see that Bama just took Jameson Williams, the, the Ohio State yes. transfer at receiver?
0: Mm-hmm. Like just there now? Was, hmm.
1: Yeah. There had been some hope that he was coming to Champaign. And then as soon as I saw Alabama was interested, is like, well, there goes that home. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so. All right. As as we uh, turn the page and look ahead to 2022, it's very interesting because there's going to be, uh, I think at the top, we're going to have some names of players who, you know, like a Trevor Lawrence, I think that from the moment they started playing college football as a freshman, we were like, wow, that guy could, could be in the NFL draft, Derek Stingley Jr. Like as a freshman, like, Wow, okay. That guy looks like he's ready to be drafted. Um, You know, Sam Howell, I don't know if we thought of him right out the gates as that kind of player. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, another one who I think is right up there. Spencer Rattler and JT Daniels. Maybe not on first impression anybody's thought that they would be uh, in in competition for the number one pick. Uh, we mentioned Keaton Slovis on there as well. I think you got to look at...
3: Uh, Dude, Tom doesn't even have Spencer Rattler starting oh, after man. week five. show. maybe so, the fetched.
0: <laughs> what do we think? So what do we think about the uh, the group? Because, you know, obviously we're there's going to be some that are going to be common sense that are going to remain up in the top 10 from now all the way through uh, the next 12 months. But there's also probably going to be a Jamie Newman in there that right now we're sitting at him and looking like a top 10, top 15 pick that will not end up in that position. Uh, what do you think the upcoming class is looking like?
1: I mean, sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, you go.
2: There's a couple guys that I'm like really sure will go first round because I think they would have been first rounders if they had come out this year, if they were eligible. Um, I have a really hard time not seeing Kayvon, you know, Kevon Thibodeau be like a top five guy. Uh, he's the only one that really gave Elijah Vera Tucker any trouble at, at USC and really stood out kind of above and beyond everybody else in the Pac-12. He continues to get better, was a, a no-doubter five-star for us. And, and I think Derek Stingley, based on the ball skills, the measurables – what he showed in 19 and you know, the fact that I don't think he was as bad as people thought he was in, in 20, playing through some injury stuff. I'm not sold on these quarterbacks, but they'll get pushed up and go because that's what the NFL does. Because if you don't have a, Q- a QB, you, you, you can't
3: play. So, were you sold on Zach Wilson a year ago? No, hell no. He had 11 I, touchdowns right? and I mean, nine, nine interceptions. interceptions. I'm still not sold on him. I'm not either. I'm not either. But I'm, he could I'm,
2: turn out well. I just, you know, we, we addressed the, Crazy dip in competition he had this year, which corresponded to his numbers all of a sudden looking great. Calling my shot here.
1: There have been what? Let's see, it's been one, two, three, four, four years in a row, and then like the three years before that. It hasn't been since 2017, since the first pick of the draft was a non-QB. 2022's first pick of the draft will be a non-QB.
0: Would it be uh, Thibodeau? What we'll a, a player mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it'll be it'll be Thibodeau or one of the defensive like edge rusher types or maybe an offensive tackle though i don't know who that would be just yet it's just when i look at this qb class and again the concern here is that somebody either blows up and comes on the scene and then gets pumped up to number one and the value of the position it's usually going to be the number one pick it's just like going into last year tank for trevor the year before tank for tua tank for this guy tank for that guy who's the tank for guy Nobody's out here saying tank for Sam Howell. He's a good player. He's a good prospect. Nobody's out here saying tank for Kadon Slovis. Nobody's saying tank for Spencer Ratley. There's there really isn't a guy who, whether they end up as the number one pick or not, you know, is still a first round pick. I don't know who that guy is in the next class, which is why I i thought like another part of the reason I thought with the Lions with that Panay Sewell pick, I felt like if you were going to take a QB, you were much better off taking one this year than you are next year.
0: So you're saying it's tank for trade assets. All we're tanking for <laughs> is for the ability to have some leverage and to have something that we can trade down or trade out of for somebody who gets panicky and falls in love with the quarterback. Mm-hmm.
2: The uh, Equanu guy, the, the offensive of lineman for NC State, who blew it, like blew everybody up he faced. I, I looked and I didn't see any of these mock drafts so far have him which makes me a little bit suspect of some of these two or like they're suspect anyway, but like
3: I got one more. You got what? Seventh overall. I got him in one of these. Which one is uh, we draft. This is bleacher report. All right, I don't know if we're sending people the wrong way, but I don't, <laughs> yeah, sure. sorry, don't get there via the app out. anyway. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so we should bleep it I'd be hilarious. Hit up, it, up yeah. Ryan
0: Wilson on Twitter and ask him where that twenty twenty two mock draft well, like, is at. Yeah. <laughs> but
3: here's <laughs> what's crazy, too lazy. Right? <laughs> here's what I think is funny, is you know Spencer Rattler number one overall. Like eh, I don't maybe. Uh, Sam Howell, like a top 10 pick. Then it has two other quarterbacks taken in the first round. And while I would laugh at them now, the history would tell you you're crazy to laugh at anybody because anything is possible with some of the rises that we've seen. Desmond Ritter and Malik Willis as two other first-round quarterbacks. And I would say, are you <laughs> crazy? I'm not either, but I nothing would surprise me.
1: Yeah, but I've, I've also seen some where it's like Tyler Shuck. It's like, that's, Do they the thing know he
3: transferred. Yet? <laughs> <Good> it's,
1: <on. laughs> it's like, there's, there's plenty of good quarterbacks that are going to be in the draft. It's just, I don't feel like there are any. Duh kind of quarterbacks in this upcoming class.
3: Neither yeah. was Joe Burrow. No one we saw felt, that coming. No, no we, we felt was the same way, way.
1: Tua in that class though. You know what yeah, I mean? There was yeah. That
3: guy. That's true. When, I, when did you Daniels? When you rattler-
1: rattler- Sorry, go ahead.
3: Spencer Rattler would probably be that guy based off of one year, but it's not a slam dunk. In two years, he might be that guy. Again,
1: not even the best QB on his own team, bro.
3: (laughs) I mean, look, what we're
2: saying now is exactly what we were saying when these guys were recruits. When JT Daniels took and reclassified into the Lawrence Fields year to jump up a year, we were like, oh, man, nobody really is like, like a number one overall type. Player here in this recruiting class, whereas the prior year we had Justin and Trevor, and then JT jumped in, and you know a bunch of other really good guys. I, I think Sam Howell is going to be one of these classic. Um, we love him because we're, we're we're fans of the college game. He's super productive. He's a tough kid. The NFL is going to get him, and they're going to be like, ooh, measurables, ooh, body. You know, like that. Those kind of questions are are going to crop up, and we're going to have to see which you know, which team. He reminds me a little bit of like you know Baker Johnny Manziel type type QB, but. Mm-hmm. DeMarvin Leal is one I'm really confident will go, like, highly. You got to think at least one of the Ohio State guys gives a first-round grade. Probably Garrett Wilson, I would guess, over Alave.
1: Yeah. Um, They might both go in the first round, but I think Garrett Wilson is going to be, like, the top 10 receiver.
0: Zach Harrison is the question mark because if he looks super, super dominant, then he could be a first-round pick. But if he's not even the best edge rusher on that Ohio State line next year, then I don't, I don't know.
2: It's you think of be... Tyreek Smith? Maybe. Huh. Kyrie Elam too. I I think is one who is I'm not gonna say he's a lock, but you you, you have you have the NFL pedigree w- w- with his uncle and his dad Abe. You know, his, his, his uncle is is Matt Elam, uh, the guy who played for Florida. He's always had good technique really really hard worker like does the does the little drills where, where they're not filming for the one-on-ones does those just as hard as he does the other drills i, I and he's also six two as a corner so i feel you
1: know, fairly good about that one i think defensive side too i, I, I with the way the position is changing and what teams are valuing i think notre dame's kyle hamilton is probably a pretty safe first round pick next year too barring injury
0: agree but it'll be interesting i mean you know you mentioned marvin leal there but i I'm, I'm curious about the defensive tackle, the middle linebacker. Uh, it's, it's as though we really are more concerned about the edge. Like we've given up on the middle. We're like, okay, let's, let's get everything conserved get everything locked down on the perimeter uh, and then funnel everything to the middle. Uh, the value on having those really dynamic players at middle linebacker and interior defensive line uh, just didn't, didn't seem to show up at least in the NFL draft of, uh, again, I feel confident about Leal, but the rest of that position will definitely be something I'll be curious to see how it evolves. All right. Coming up the rest of the week, there will be a new CBS sports post spring top 25 released on cbssports.com. And so on Wednesday's show, we are going to break that down with some discussion. I've got a leave this podcast and, and, and work on my ballot. I got to start shifting teams around. And so uh, we'll we'll have uh, maybe some discussion of our own ballots as well as the overall outlook of the top 25, how things may have changed and uh, sort of just, you know, what the tiers are looking like when it comes to ranking the top teams in the sport. At the end of the week, we will have the mailbag. So if you want to jump in with a question for the big old bag of mail, of course, anything goes, uh, but you know, maybe if you've got a particular prospect, a particular pl- player uh somebody from this nfl draft that you you'd like to maybe pick our brains on feel free to drop that in there and we will be sure to hit that at the end of the week you can follow him on twitter at bud elliott three you can follow him at danny cannell you can follow him at tom cannelli you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen thank you very much
2: thank you. you see you chip have a great day